Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. this 14th day of May 2021. I want to cover one international headline and then one uh, headline here in the United States. First, um, and let me just say this as a, this could, I could say this every single day. Um, There's news, genuinely new information about what's happening in the world, but how we choose to talk about it, how I choose to tell you about that news, how I characterize the events, the words I choose, um, the the sequence of the words I choose, the way I characterize those involved actually sets a frame around the information. So the way that I tell you about something that has happened cannot help but lead you to believe certain things about the actors involved. You will make a mental judgment about the event and those involved in it by the way I tell you or characterize uh, the event. There, there is no way for me to tell you that Israel is on the brink of all-out war without a moral judgment, a spiritual judgment, a judgment about history following on the heels of that statement. All you have to do is look at the headlines to understand that the way we are led to believe um, certain things is influenced by the way we are informed about those same things. So if we were just to survey the headlines today, the Washington Post characterizes it this way. Israeli forces hit Hamas tunnels in Gaza as an all-out war looms. More rockets rain down. CNN characterizes it this way, or this is their headline. Heavy artillery fire on Gaza escalates violence as clashes between Arabs and Jews rock Israeli cities. In the first headline, the characters featured are Israeli forces and Hamas. Uh, in the second headline, what is featured is uh, is Gaza. No actual uh, mention of Israel as a nation, but Arabs and Jews in Israeli cities. The way that someone characterizes an event cannot help but influence the way we think about that event. The Jerusalem Post... You know, always look for sources closest to the action, by the way. So, you know, read Heretz today. Read the Jerusalem Post today. Um, read uh, what's happening out of Israeli news today, if you actually want to know what's happening in Israel. I mean, yes, CNN has somebody there. Fox News has somebody there. But you're not going to get an Israeli perspective unless you read an Israeli on this. So anyway, Israeli news outlets are working to keep people informed of what's happening in terms of local rioting by Arabs who are targeting and looting and burning significant Jewish sites throughout the nation of Israel. Like, those aren't stories that are likely to be covered in the Western press. The Jerusalem Post uh, headline features what's happening this way. IDF, because that's actually who's engaged here, the Israeli Defense Forces, IDF strikes Hamas underground tunnel network in nonstop assault on Gaza. 
Here's what I am recommending for our part. Let us pray for Jerusalem. Let us pray for peace. And let us be people of sober judgment. Plenty of people who are far from the conflict, including some members of the U.S. Congress, plenty of people who are far from the conflict, far from it in many, many ways, think they have the hot take, the solution to an issue whose roots are as ancient as Abraham. So let us be people of sober judgment. Let us be people of prayer. And let us recognize that how the news is delivered to us influences how we think about the people involved and the events unfolding. The other big news uh, is news here in the United States. It's sort of like news and non-news, depending where you are on the range of compliance with masks, with mask orders in your own uh, life and community. But the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Thursday said that people who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19 can safely participate in indoor and outdoor activities without a mask. Uh, so um, be aware of that. Recognize that that is happening. Uh, many people characterized yesterday as the great unmasking of America. I don't know, but where I live, there's already been a great unmasking. So um, here's the good news. We can now see one another face to face. We can greet one another without social distancing. And all of those babies that were born in this past year, I am coming after you because social distancing is now um, technically a thing of the past. Yes, I will be gracious and I will ask parental permission first, but um, I'm going to rejoice, but not gloat. I'm going to be patient. I recognize that inertia is a powerful force and that um, masking uh, signs might be slow to come down in, in front of some businesses, and I'm going to be gracious. Some people are at genuinely higher risk, and some people might steer, still be fearful. Um, but the reality is, like, that part of this experience is now officially in the past, and that is good news. Next up, Matt Hawkins. We'll be right back. Matthew Hawkins is back. You can find him on Twitter at MT Hawk. Hey, Matt, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So let's, um, let's talk about... i papers for the semester, so I have a smile on my face. Oh, you're done. And you're not wearing a mask so we could see it. I mean, were it not yes, radio? Yeah. And mm-hmm. my, my church's community group, we're going to celebrate the, tomorrow. I uh, love that. A big, probably, I think we've got 25 adults and 25 kids and... I know. I totally don't know how to inform the three families in my community group that have had a baby this year. Like, I'm coming after their babies. Like, I want to hold Simeon. <laughs> I want to hold Ezra. Um, right? I want to hold those yep. babies. I know. Yep. All right. Yep. Coming after your yep. babies. I mean, in a positive way. But, like, right? They need to be held and adored. And, yeah. I'm coming. I'm Joshua Comp, I'm coming after you, man. Like, like yeah. little babies, right? Okay. Um, talk about the Uyghurs. What is going on there? Yeah. I mean, actually, well, actually, this is an interesting segue, right? Because right. this is this they, is a conversation about, about babies. Yeah, I was. You, you 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 took the segue right out from under me. But yes, uh, on a our darker side about uh, babies uh, that we love to cuddle and kiss and and hold and help grow. Um, News from China. Now, some of this uh, 
the big picture of this is not news that China, the uh, communist regime there, has been perpetrating what I've described as a slow burn genocide, but it is, no one's declared it yet, but it is a kind of genocide against Uyghur Muslims in their country. Um, in a particular province that's kind of like on the western side of the country, northwest, I think. And uh, millions upon millions of, uh, of Uyghurs, and these are basically kind of, this is not going to do it justice, but bear with me, kind of ethnically Chinese Muslims, right? So uh, Muslims who are indigenous to um, the, na the nation of China, which, of course, as we keep saying, is far more actually diverse religiously and ethnically and, and in other ways than the Chinese government would have you believe. Um, and so in the drumbeat to a this one China nonsense, um, they are forcibly um, preventing Uyghurs from basically repopulating, um, from procreating. Uh, and if they're not in concentration camps, Uyghur Muslims face um, like almost all Chinese um, residents or citizens. Um, gosh, I'd like to say citizens, right? Uh, it's more subjects over there. Um, they're um, not, you know, they're not permitting them to, to, you know, they're they're under overwhelming surveillance if they're not already in a re-education camp. And so you've got a re new report out from a nonpartisan think tank out of Australia called Australian Strat Strategic Policy Institute, uh, who has interest, who has uh, published a pretty detailed report that we won't go all the way into. But get this across. Counties that are majority indigenous Uyghurs, the birth weight fell on average by 43% in a single year. Imagine your state's birth rate dropping in half in a single year. It's unbelievable. And this is because of the Chinese communist government. Um, they've, and basically in 2017, they had apparently, uh, moved from a birth control strategy among minorities shifted from quote, reward and encourage to excessive and coercive, um, interrupting and policing of the reproduction process, including hefty fines, disciplinary punishment, extrajudicial internment, or the threat of internment were introduced for any quote, illegal births and family planning officials were told to carry out early detection and early disposal of pregnant women found in violation of policy that appears to be a quote from Chinese communism um, policy it's staggering I'm not sure zooming out I'm not sure what America does here um, we are facing in an international uh, frankly, a competitor no, that nobody needs to, uh, uh, that's not news to anybody. Um, our economy and economic interests are enmeshed in a way that I don't think has happened in history relative to a human rights crisis, right? Um, mm -hmm. Whatever was happening um, during the Holocaust in Germany, I don't think American businesses were as enmeshed there. And certainly once... Uh, once everybody knew what was going on there, doing business with Nazi Germany was certainly socially frowned upon. 
uh, and it was taboo. And the same thing happened during the Cold War, right? So um, decades uh, of the Cold War going on, you know, not a whole lot of U.S. businesses are do were doing business in Russia, right? Uh, it was uh, socially frowned upon. Um, but you got a whole lot of U.S. companies doing business with China, uh, including some of our favorite brands. And how we influence that space in China, you know, how we extricate ourselves. Frankly, I'm not sure how it happens. Um, and so it may force us to our knees in prayer. Um, and we haven't really done that in a deep, you know, nature, you know, coast to coast way for Chinese Christians. Um, and so I'm wondering if we can muster that for Chinese Muslims. Um, that's my concern. It's dire over there. It's really, really bad. I mean, we're talking, it's a localized apocalypse for a people group. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's unbelievable that this is going on. And that, and that we have people uh, here in the United States who are saying things like, that's not in my lane. I'm responsible right. only for conversations with China related to climate change. I'm not yeah. responsible uh, to, to have my, my heart and my eyes and my conscience and the power of the United States brought to bear in conversations with China about these most egregious human rights abuses of the Uyghur people. Um, I yeah. will tell you, this led to a conversation in uh, in our family um a question that i had never heard raised and frankly had never thought about um and it, it was well this isn't the first you know place where there's been a concentration camp where their babies born in auschwitz and i didn't know and so huh. i did a little research i looked it up um there were actually lots of babies born there they were um summarily executed um in yeah. front of their moms um, but most women who were found to be pregnant were exterminated before the babies were born. Um, yeah. But there were something um, something on the order of 3,000 live births because of this one woman from Poland who was a midwife, and she refused to, um, to kill the babies. Anyway, I'd never heard of her. I'm excited Amazing. to know about her. And, and yeah, so, like, right, there are these strange saints— um, who appear in these storylines. And so we'll just be praying today that there are some saints in the midst of the people who are in those concentration camps in China now no um, assisting those uh, Uyghur moms in bringing babies to life, bringing babies into the world. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, hey, we got to take a very brief break. I'm talking with Matt Hawkins. We will return in just a moment with some other life headlines. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Matt Hawkins. He's the former policy director for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. He served in Washington, D.C. I'd love to talk with you, Matt, about um, this sort of the new status of refugees. The first refugees have now um, yeah. arrived to be resettled in the U.S. Um, after a, a very long hiatus. Uh, talk, talk with us about what you know. Yeah. So I think we may have talked last week or the week before that the Biden administration has uh, basically increased the ceiling for American um, or for refugees being resettled in the United States from a low last year of 15,000 to up up to 62,000 uh, for this um, this uh, financial this fiscal year. Um, they may not reach that, 
Um, but the trend line should, for this administration, increase uh, to where it was um, before a really unfortunate and, in my view, very unnecessary uh, throttling, uh, if not functional uh, shutdown of refugee resettlement here in the U.S. Um, Sadly, this was not an issue that was really uh, politicized or partisanized before 2015, and then it's kind of become that way in the past six years, but we won't go down that rabbit trail as to why. Um, but it's it's open, um, and so what you have, though, is the federal government ramping up capacity, uh, number one, and then you have uh, the providers of resettlement services. Basically, a refugee gets a green rank from the U.S. government, uh, and they travel here, and they are connected with a resettlement group. Uh, the dominant expression or the dominant organizations that provide resettlement guidance for refugees that can come over here are faith groups. They're Christian. They're Catholics. They're evangelicals. Um, uh, and uh, I think it's what Ca- uh, Catholic Charities probably I think is uh, the the banner um, for their organization. They have World Relief uh, is an evangelical organization that I work closely with in during my time. And so um, after a number of years of kind of atrophying um, at the institutional level, um, you have increases, uh, those services ramping up. And uh, we need the faith community to engage again heavily like they were before, like they were, you know, and then they're really not not distant future or not distant history. And so um, keep in mind, refugees are fully heavily screened, uh, more anybody ever entering uh, U.S. soil. We have seven to eight million people enter the country on travel and on tourist and business visas who are not screened at all. Uh, refugees get months and years of screening before they come over here. Um, and it's only a last resort. Uh, these are for people who cannot go back to their home uh, their home country um, for persecution reasons, typically. Um, one uh, interesting wrinkle. Did you see the, you saw the headline from, uh, North Carolina, right? I think it's Greensboro. And, uh, well, remind me, remind me of the, of the headline I saw from Greensboro, North Carolina. Yeah. City issues statement on potential refugee Mm. resettlement. Right. Um, so what happens is when the U S department of health and human services has to uh, facilitate refugee resettlement, you need some facilities, basically you need buildings to do Mm -hmm. this stuff. Um, this is, you know, rubber meets the road, uh, human services, and uh, uh, you've got to scope locations for this. And so apparently word got out mm. that uh, the government was scoping uh, uh, facilities in the city of Greensboro. And the city of Greensboro interest, uh, issues an interesting statement. Uh, it kind of gives the facts of it. Um, and basically the so story see, reports. Isn't this, a conf- isn't this a conflation, though, of issues? Like, right, isn't this about is. unaccompanied children? Isn't this about? Yes. It's like this is not about refugees. So it's a conflation of issues when they use the word refugee in these kinds of headlines. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so it appears that U.S. Uh, U.S. is is um, basically it's responsible for care of unaccompanied children referred to its. Uh, uh, temporary care uh, to Office of Refugee Resettlement. So you have the offices that are responsible for refugee resettlement being tasked temporarily for uh, care of unaccompanied children uh, who have mm-hmm. crossed the border. And that's just a um, conflation of issues that's just going to confuse people so much. 
Yeah. And so yeah. it's a it's a conflation of issues, kind of. Uh, and then uh, the thing that jumped out to me is that there you have this line, quote, it is important to know that this was not solicited by either the city or county governments, but is a federal program looking at this property. So on the one hand, the, the city county government saying this is not our thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't don't uh, don't give us political backlash because of this. But then you have a quote from Mayor Nancy Vaughn, who <laughs> highlights the fact that it could potentially bring as many as 800 jobs to the area, including food services, clinicians, teachers and more. So on the one hand, it's not their it's not their thing. On the other hand, they want to benefit from uh, potential economic good economic impacts, um, politically speaking. And that, frankly, just disgusts me. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. I want to read a, um, I want to read a treat for a tweet from, um, a guy named Eric in Oklahoma, because this is, uh, this is what uh, got me uh, kind of excited about the, uh, the doors opening, reopening to legitimate refugees from around the world. We are not talking yeah. here about what's happening uh, at the U S Southern border. That is an immigration Correct. issue. The refugee Correct. resettlement conversation is a different, is a different one. Um, so Eric posted this on May the 12th. It's a it's a photo of him and a group of people in Oklahoma welcoming their first resettled refugee to Tulsa in eight months. Um, wow. And he says, uh, this man is a brother in Christ from Myanmar. Christians are mm-hmm. now appealing to POTUS to keep his promises and help make this restart finally happen. Um, and, you know, there he's uh, he's uh, given a little shout out to the Oklahoma Baptists and World Relief um, who were a part of making all this happen. So, yeah, um, yeah. just uh, I just I I want to keep highlighting the good news stories um, related to the resettlement of legitimate refugees from around the world. Jim and yeah. I um, I know we got I know we got to go to a break, but Jim and I celebrated our uh, 10th anniversary on Friday night and went back to the restaurant where we'd had our rehearsal dinner party. And outside oh. there were a group of people having uh, a party for um, someone in their group who had just graduated from pharmacy school. Every single person out there was um, a refugee. They are Coptic Christians from Egypt, yeah. and they are resettled in the community where I live. And so there were That's 50 exciting. or more of them out there having this you know, most wonderful celebration of this uh, of this achievement. And I'm thinking to myself, thank God, thank God, thank God, we live in a nation where we recognize that religious persecution is real and we're willing to allow people to come. And I want to I want to continue to advocate for that uh, to all who will listen. So thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Wonderful news. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Blessings. Have a great week. Go go go! Kiss a baby today with no mask on. <laughs> it's gonna be my with cast. permission. Okay. We'll be right back. Yes, I know with permission. All right. Up next, I got Chris Martin. We're going to talk about parasocial relationships. I bet you have some. We'll be right back. The teenage years are important ones. They're not just a time to get through as fast as possible, especially when it comes to spiritual things. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It's easy to wish away the turbulent teen years, but I wish I could show you what they'll look like 20 years from now when you and your child will fondly remember these days. You'll see that God was doing great things. He was teaching your son or daughter to think, to understand, to trust, and to take risk. He was molding them just as he wanted. And beyond that, he was teaching you to let go and to trust him. These lessons in spiritual growth are too valuable to wish away. 
Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Chris Martin. He's the editor for he's an editor for Moody Press. He's also a social media consultant. You can find him at the Terms of Service blog on Substack. Hey, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me again, Carmen. Absolutely. Okay. Apparently I have um parasocial relationships and that's a problem. So let's start with um what is a para parasocial relationship and um why is it a problem? Yeah, so a parasocial relationship is a relation really the the clearest and most simple definition of it is uh, a a one-way relationship um, the term was coined in 1956 by two psychologists who wanted a word to describe the mediated relationships that audience members were starting to have with uh, radio or television personalities at the time um, and uh, television was a relatively new phenomenon, and a lot of people were starting to build relationships with people they were watching on TV, whether they be newscasters or things like that. And uh, these psychologists wanted a term to define the sort of one-way relationships that uh, TV viewers were having with uh, the personalities they were seeing on television. So uh, for people who are listening here, you know, if you uh, maybe watched Friends while you were growing up or even in your uh, older years – uh, did you feel like you knew the group on Friends, almost like they were your friends? That that would be a parasocial relationship. Or do you watch a talk show like The View or a morning show of like Good Morning America or something like that, um, and you feel like you're having coffee with your friends while you watch that? That That is uh, – shows like that, like talk shows like that are designed to foster parasocial relationships. The whole point is to sort of make you feel like you're part of this friend group that you're kind of getting to listen in on. Okay, you're um, giving all of the secrets of morning radio away. <laughs> yeah, so, so – <laughs> I mean, but, right? I but, totally have however, relationships with the people who listen, right? No, I'm saying right. like it, this is real. This is – parasocial yeah. relationships are real. They happen. You're probably totally. in one if you're listening. Yeah, totally. And I think they're um, – what's wrong with parasocial relationships isn't that they exist. Like I don't think it's bad for someone to – appreciate a particular newscaster on television or have a relationship, you know, like feel like they're friends with you. Um, no, but when you ask me, to... but when you ask me to send a picture of myself and you send me the note you want me to write on it, that's gone yeah. to a weird, like, yeah. Yeah. Then you've yeah. gotten to a weird place. Like, don't do where, that. Right. Where, where it gets problematic is kind of what you just described. And when people start um, having, having a misunderstanding of how close they are with the person who's the subject of the parasocial relationship. So if you feel if someone were to, yeah, it's one thing for you to make a friendly relationship with your audience, Carmen, to text back and forth with them on your text line and things like that. That's one thing um, for them to expect you to want to go to coffee if they showed up in your town uh, is another level of parasocial relationship altogether. Like you, you may be friendly with someone on the radio who's listening uh, or even texting in, but you may not want to go get dinner with them if they come to town because that might just be taking a relationship to a level that you don't really see it at, but maybe they do. Mm -hmm. the, pr the reason I write about this uh, is because social media, if television created parasocial relationships, you better believe social media has perpetuated parasocial relationships. The thing that makes parasocial relationships, these one-way, often 
um, unbalanced relationships. A problem on social media in particular is that it it's harder to identify them. Clearly, if you have a relationship with someone who's on television, they don't know you exist, right? Um, 95% of the time that, that newscaster or that talk show host that you have, that you feel like you're friends with doesn't even know you exist on social media. It's a little bit harder because you may follow some celebrity on social media and tweet at them and say, let's say it's an actor or something. And you just saw a movie they were in. And you're like, Hey, such and so you're a, uh, you're, you were really great in this TV show. And they like your tweet. Like, you know, they're scrolling through their mentions and they like your tweet and you're like, oh, my gosh, this person knows I exist now. And that parasocial relationship you may have felt with that favorite actor um, was just taken to a deeper level because they still don't really know you exist. Like they couldn't call you out of a crowd. They couldn't say your name if they saw your face, but they acknowledged your existence by liking that tweet of of appreciation that you sent out or whatever else. And I'm um there's a lot of research and, and writing that's been done about how parasocial relationships really uh, define many of our relationships on the internet because a lot of us feel like we have a better relationship with people we have we interact with online than we actually do and often than they feel they have with us and this just really the way it becomes a problem in the most critical ways is if these relationships start to supplant our embodied incarnational people who live among us kind of relationships and more and more unfortunately they seem to be doing that yeah i have um obviously people in the text line right now um because right because yeah. there are some like real relationships and 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 we're not saying that parasocial relationships aren't real relationships don't hear that and um yes Lori, i'd have coffee with you um and yes, Jim, you're right. When you meet us in person, the relationship does change. Like, right. So yes, it's, it, it, it is really saying like, right. And so it's good. It's that's good. Where, this like, is a that's good... where I would say if, if your people in your text line are feeling like are, are feeling we're like not calling their... you out. No, because, I mean, the very <laughs> fact that you're interacting with them right now has just made that not a parasocial relationship. <laughs> like, uh, well, there you go. It's, it's not one way. There you go. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, um, let's uh, let's do the end of the piece, which is because some some we need to resist this in terms of being the people who sort of get seduced into thinking we're in a relationship. Let's let's do like a a social media influencer or a TV personality because then it sort of takes it out of the you know listeners to this program conversation. But um, you know, how do I resist sort of getting drawn into that idea? Yeah, I think I, my piece of writing that I was writing was targeted at Twitter specifically because I think that's one mm. of the online platforms that really fosters parasocial relationships the most. It gives you the most opportunity to interact with people around the world. So I would like set a daily time limit that you interact with people on Twitter or another social media platform. I would meet with at least one friend in real life once a week, one-on-one um, -on -one for coffee or lunch or wherever based on how you are with COVID and all of that. Um have lunch with someone, have coffee with someone, like actually meet in real life with someone and foster an offline relationship that's stronger than any online relationship you have. Uh, third, I, I would limit your engagement with famous people online. Um, so just like don't be tweeting at your favorite uh, Bible teacher or your favorite TV star all the time uh, because that can be bad for you and kind of creepier for them. And then finally, actually get to know your neighbors. I'm historically not very good at getting to know my neighbors because I'm kind of quiet and shy, believe it or not. Um, but 
as Susie and I have had, we have a daughter now and we're walking the neighborhood almost every day. We're getting to know a lot of our neighbors around us, like the people who live in the houses just behind us or next to us. And it's been really gratifying. It's been really good to just kind of ground me in real life and, and, and social life apart from the internet. So I would encourage you to do those things. <laughs> All right, uh, Lori. Yes, thank you. I Googled. I know who you're talking about now. And I'll just say to that, oh, Jesus. Okay. So apparently the chosen has, uh, has brought people to the forefront for my audience in terms of who they now want to have relationships with in real life. There you go. I see. Um, all right, Chris, Chris Martin and I are going to return to our conversation in just a moment. I'm going to ask him to unpack uh, another piece that he has posted on his Terms of Service blog. Facebook can't do what it promises. It's broken at its core, and we shouldn't rely on it. What's that all about? We'll be right back. You're my defender. Returning to my conversation with Chris Martin, um, you can find what he's writing at the Terms of Service blog. You can actually just, like, Google Chris Martin Terms of Service, and it'll link you right to it. Um, Let's talk about this post you have on Facebook. You liken Facebook's promise of community to a mirage. Um, Talk with us about that. Sure. Uh, In 2017, Mark Zuckerberg wrote a sort of manifesto to the Facebook community and to Facebook employees. And he said this. He said, in times like these, the most important thing we at Facebook can do is develop the social infrastructure to give people the power to build a global community that works for all of us. Uh, He says, for the past decade, Facebook has focused on connecting friends and families. And with that foundation, our next focus will be developing the social infrastructure for community, for supporting us, for keeping us safe for informing us and for civic engagement and for the inclusion of everyone. Uh, in his book, uh, A Time to Build, Yuval Levin, who's a great author and thinker, uh, kind of analyzes this quote from Zuckerberg. And what Yuval Levin talks about is he talks about how Facebook um, just really isn't able to do what it wants to do. And Mark Zuckerberg and the leaders of Facebook don't really seem to understand that. He Yuval mm-hmm. Levin writes, he says, what what Facebook has thought about quite a bit is how they might structure the incentives users face on their platforms to maximize attention, which, after all, is the commodity that Facebook offers. It's paying customers. Facebook's paying customers are advertisers to whom the customer sells uh, – sorry, to whom the company, Facebook, sells the attention and sometimes personal information of those users. He says that mediating our lives through social information and entertainment platforms suggests that we understand our social lives as forms of entertainment and information. And I think he's exactly right. The thing that we have to remember, I talk with a lot of friends in the Christian space about social media and the problems with social media. And it's really interesting how the first concern everyone always has is the suppression of free speech on social media, usually because they're thinking of one or two of their favorite political people who has been banned or suspended in one way or another. And Sure, that's fine and right and good, but a lot of us seem to be more concerned about like the suppression of free speech on social media than we are with what social media is actually doing to our hearts. And I think that's kind of telling of just like life in general is we get a lot more concerned with like political machinations or happenings around the world, but we aren't actually concerned about like the sin in our own heart. So I think it's it kind of follows. But I think Facebook, what we need to understand is what it promises in terms of community and social infrastructure and supporting us and keeping us safe. It's simply not built to do that. Facebook is designed to entertain you and I and all of the other users and to keep our attention 
for a long enough time and consistently enough that it can justify selling hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in advertisements to Coca-Cola and Apple and all of these other huge companies, Starbucks, that spend billions of dollars, hundreds of millions a month on uh, Facebook advertising. And so the thing that I think we need to remember, the reason Facebook can't keep its promise of genuine community and safety and informing us or all of that is because it's designed to be an entertainment platform. And our social interaction, if you want to know why Facebook, if you've ever heard people complain, Facebook is so negative. People just argue in the comments all the time. Well, what's entertaining? What's more entertaining than a fight, right? Um, and so we need to remember that Facebook is designed first and foremost to generate entertainment in order to generate attention, which is the primary currency of social media, so that advertisers will continue to spend money to run ads in front of our faces. Um, so just as you engage on Facebook, um, like we were talking about with parasocial relationships, recognize that it's designed to entertain people, not to foster genuine, real, intimate social relationships, like close, deep social relationships. And I think you'll protect yourself from maybe uh, trying to place a burden on Facebook that it thinks it can bear. And sometimes we think it can bear, but honestly, it, it just really can't. I, um, I want to get back to like real face-to-face -face church socials. No, yeah. no more FaceTime, no more Facebook in terms of like, this is where we're going to find community like real face-to-face -face baby kissing church socials. Yes. I yes. don't know if that happens at your church socials, but I'm a little obsessed today with the fact that we're going to get to take off our masks and be in community with one another with no social distancing. And there were lots of babies born in COVID who haven't had the joy <laughs> of seeing our smiling faces yet. And I can't hardly wait to like smile at them. And I know, there you go. Yeah, we just, we just had, obsessed with that today. had a church. Yeah, we had a church cookout the other day or like two weeks, two Sundays ago at a park right by our house. And yeah, it was the same. Like we just we had a daughter during COVID. And I mean, we experienced all of that. And it's wonderful. So fun, right? Yeah. So fun. OK, well, then I'll ask you this question. So when I approach um, these all these precious families who had babies in COVID, like what's the um, what's the appropriate protocol now? I, you know, for us, I mean, everybody's different and everybody's got their own comfort level. But, hey, just ask us to hold hold our baby and, and snuggle with her. And it's, it's fine mm. with us. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's so great. Yeah. Right. Enjoy it. The, it's great. Get it's a big wonderful. dad award. Right. I know. I know. <laughs> it's so great. All right. Um, Chris, anything else you want to talk about today? We got like a minute and a minute and a half left, which never happens. Man, Do you, you know, know that you it's know. Dance Like a Chicken Day? No, I don't know that. I, so this would be a good that, day to introduce your daughter to the chicken dance. I know. Oh, yeah. I know. You got to yeah, update is, that calendar, man. She is starting to. She's starting to dance to. Uh, she likes Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and she's dancing mm -hmm. to the hot dog song at the end. Um, mm -hmm. she's, she's she's like rocking her hips and like throwing her hands up in the air. So she is starting to dance. So maybe we can teach her the chicken dance today. Uh, totally. I think today is chicken. It, it is National Dance Like a Chicken Day. So I feel like, you know, there today's you the day. Teach her the chicken dance. Perfect. <sighs> So great for the next church social, you know, yeah, exactly. she'll have an act. <laughs> she won't it. ever need an act. I'm just saying. Hey, Chris, <laughs> as always, thank you so much. What a joy to talk with you. You guys can find um, Chris at Chris Martin 17 on Twitter. Um, you can also find him at the Terms of Service blog where you can read all the things that we talked about today. That's on Substack. We'll be right back.
Yes, you can dance like a chicken today because tomorrow you can go fishing for walleye. Well, in Minnesota, and, in Minnesota, it's Minnesota fishing I, over I have no idea. Can it, it, I don't feel like in other places people are limited. Well, I don't some, know. some states know, but Minnesota, they have a uh, We don't have limit. any, like, I mean, you just get a fishing license where I live and you just go fish. And uh-huh. so this is news to me. What is going on? I have to wait until tomorrow to specifically fish for walleye. And can I do it at like 12.01 a.m.? Do I have to wait for sunrise? Like, I think what? you have to I wait. To, I'm not I certain. I think, I think you have to wait till mm-hmm. sunrise. So, mm-hmm. yeah. They don't want people out mm-hmm. in the lake in the dark. Oh, Too many of them anyway. Do you have to go way out into the lake to catch a walleye? Can you do? You can't do it from the shore, I or like, am not you know, a, a long dock or a pier. I mean, you got to uh, have a boat. You I see think what I'm you saying? can do a boat because now, because now you got to have a friend with a boat. Yeah, that helps. There's <sighs> a lot going on. There's <laughs> a lot going on. Okay, today's the day to make sure that the engine works. Like you've had all winter to make sure that the boat is ready for tomorrow, and that you have a, the right group of friends on it, right? Because I'm thinking that you're spending a day fishing with people. I have lots of fishing stories from the Bible. This is a good opportunity to brush up on your fishing stories from the Bible, um, right, and to talk about being fishers of men. I feel like there's all kinds of opportunities on the water tomorrow to bring God into the conversation. After all, he's going to be the giver of all the fish, right? Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a particular preparation that you like to eat your walleye? Um, you know, I like it Does it have fried. lots of bones? Um, well, when I get them, I don't do the fishing. I let other people mm-hmm. do that. I just eat them, and uh, usually the bones mm-hmm. are removed, yes. And there's there's a fair number, but not too bad. Mm-hmm. But so delicious. I need a friend with a boat who wants to go fishing and likes to debone a fish. There you go. Exactly. This is The list is getting long here. <clears throat> so, yes. Yeah, so, see, now that would be an actual relationship. If you were going to spend a day on a boat with somebody fishing... Um, that's that's not a parasocial relationship. That's a like close social relationship. And may it be a productive fishing trip. May you then share the bounty of the fishing trip with others. And, um, you know, if I'm coming over for dinner, I probably want my walleye to not have bones in it. That, right? I don't want to have to do that myself. Does that sound reasonable, Paul? That sounds very reasonable. <sighs> okay. Now, see, now I'm inviting myself over for dinner and people are feeling like... <laughs> She's gone way beyond parasocial now. She's like, where are the snacks? Okay, um, we do love you. We love gathering here with you every day. It's Dance Like a Chicken Day. It's also the day before you get to go fish for walleye. So that all seems like good news. At least if you live in Minnesota, the rest of you, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't checked out the fishing license laws in all the other parts of the country. So, um, yes, you can text me, 877-933-2484. You can always email me, myfaithradio.com, if you think there are things that I have missed covering or I have not covered them appropriately. I'm open to um, your compliments and your criticism. This is the day the Lord has made. Thanks for helping us make it great. We got another hour of Mornings of Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.